the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. The German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. I repeat, the German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. There was no Allied confirmation. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied expeditionary force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Bob Trout and Edward R. Morrow, respectively, there of CBS News, from a broadcast dating back 67 years. And turn our memories back toward that important battle that was really the beginning of the end, certainly, of World War II in Europe. Um, And it's amazing because if we think about the ensuing years that have passed, imagine for a moment the fact that most of the boys... And many of them were just that, 17, 18-year-old boys that landed on beaches with names like Utah and Normandy uh, on that date back in 1944, that many of them today would be in their late 80s. This, as um, Tom Brokaw called it, indeed, America's greatest generation who saw some of the most difficult times, built some of the greatest character, to be sure, of any generation. And as we are losing contact with these brave men and women day by day as the clock ticks down, I think it's important to be reminded of the tremendous sacrifices that they made for all of us. Much of that takes place inside the pages of a book by my next guest. The book is called Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. And joining me tonight on the program is a young lady who certainly is a familiar voice to many of us. Uh, She is an award-winning journalist, three times over, in fact, receiving Emmy Awards. She has been a correspondent on um, such highly rated news programs as Fox News, MSNBC, and uh, currently with CBS, and um, is the author of this new book. And Rita Cosby, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be with you. And, and Craig, I have a news flash for you. Um, I just found out I made the New York Times bestseller list a few minutes ago. Well, congratulations. So you were the first one to know, aside from my father. You know, b- being, a, being a journalist from way back, I always love a scoop, and so I'm, I'm pleased to be able to scoop. Let me, re- let me reiterate the introduction. And New York Times bestselling author, Rita Cosby. Oh, I'm so thrilled. And I'll just tell you, I literally just hung up the phone with my dad, Craig who is alive, as you talk about a lot of these guys in their 80s, my dad is 85, he was so choked up and so happy because you think about here is a guy 
who could not speak almost a word of English when he was saved by U.S. troops and said, I want to come to America because America is the greatest country in the world and came from, you know, Poland, was a teenager, thrust to war, comes to America. And for it to be on the bestseller list, my father is so touched and so humbled and so happy that people are learning about this part of history and, and also learning about the comrades, many of whom did not make it back. You know, it's an amazing story because as much as we think about, you know, television channels like the Military Channel that are dedicated to the events of World War II and the books that are out there um, and, and so much material, and yet there are so many stories that have never been told and it's interesting because this this generation uniquely kind of kind of had that we went we did a job we came back and now we're moving on with life e- even in your own experience in the case of bringing your dad's story to print uh, was one that you literally accidentally ran into oh absolutely and my father as you talked about never talked about this and to this day you could even tell when i just broke the, you know the news that we made the new york times bestseller list he was so humbled and so happy that this story and that the comrades are getting the recognition. It's always about someone else. It's never his story. It's always, I'm happy that the Polish people and I'm happy that the American troops are getting the recognition. And, and that is endemic of that whole group, that whole generation. There's just this incredible dignity. And in my father's case, you know, this story, you know, I hope that people get it. First of all, for, for Father's Day, it is the perfect gift. And the information's on quiethero.org quiethero.org. It's called Quiet Hero Secrets from My Father's Past, because part of the proceeds, by the way, go to wounded troops and their families. So it goes to a great cause. But my father, you know, this is very much a bit of a love story, too, because my dad and I really did not know each other until a few years ago. And um, when I grew up, I knew my father went through war. I did not know what he went through. I remember seeing scars all over his body, Craig, when he was, you know, when he came back from a run. And I was eight years old, and I remember this moment vividly. We were camping. He came back jogging, took his shirt off. He was drenched in sweat. And I remember all of a sudden he took his shirt off, and I saw these scars all over his arms and a hole in one of his arms. And I remember thinking, that doesn't look normal. And asking my mother, what happened to Dad? Did he get in a fight or something, you know, like a a curious child? And my mother said to me, I'll never forget this, she said, Rita, your father went through tough times growing up. We don't talk about it. Mm. And the door was closed. And then my father left the family one Christmas very abruptly. You know, I heard my parents arguing in the other room, and my dad said, I'm leaving. And I thought he was leaving work, and it turned out he was leaving us. And so I really did not have a father present in my life for decades. And I, you know, grew, you know, grew up on television, you know, with, and my mother was really my mother and my father. And here I was, you know, at the pinnacle of my career, you know, doing all this great stuff on television and yet, you know, did not have a father present in my life and always wondered what happened to my dad and why he was so detached. And then suddenly my mother passed away. And in my mother's belongings, my brother and I found this old suitcase and inside was essentially my father's life. It was a rusty POW tag, and then I emblazoned with the word Stalag 4B on it and a prisoner number, and then I found a red and white fighting Polish armband with blood and dirt all over it, and then I found a card that had code names. This person had this sort of secret life, and then I found a card of an ex-POW named Richard Kosobutsky, and when I saw this, Craig, I just wept, I, and it was this moment in my life And it wasn't that long ago. This was, you know, just about two years ago. And I sat there in the storage locker, and I said to myself, you know what, I have not had a father present. My father certainly made a lot of mistakes. You know, he left us, you know, high and dry. 
and my mother was devastated, we were devastated, and never understood what happened to my father emotionally, too. Or I could forgive this man, because clearly whatever pain I went through could not compare to what he went through as a prisoner of war. You know, and that's the amazing part of this story, because for many that are familiar around the periphery of the history of World War Two, and sadly even those numbers are, are, are dwindling, um, you know, we, we think of some of the early events that took place in Europe, the Anschluss, the annexation of, of uh, Austria, literally swallowing up with Czechoslovakia. But the linchpin, the implosion point, was, in fact, German invasion of Poland in September of 39. And, and, and you what know, it's the... interesting, Greg. My father was outside, saw the invasion, literally saw the invasion at the beginning of World War II. And, and, and it's interesting because... We, we look at the fall of Poland that took place so rapidly, and of course, you know, we, we won't spend time tonight um, in our brief moments together, Rita, pointing fingers at how the, the French made promises that they did not keep, the British made promises that they the did Russians not keep, totally the Rus- the Poland, and the Russians yeah. ended up becoming complicit with the Germans and swallowing up Poland. But the battle particularly for Poland and for Warsaw, and this, you know, we, we're left with the impression that the country surrendered inside of a week, but that really isn't true, particularly for that battle that took place in Warsaw. And your dad at the time, I understand, from your book, Rita, Quiet Hero, was a teenage resistance fighter there in Warsaw. Oh, and right in the throes of it. And, and you obviously have a great sense of history, Craig. You know, and I, it's amazing when you hear these stories. And as you pointed out early on, this is a story that is rarely told. So often we hear about the American GIs and all of their incredible heroics, you know, which deserve to be told. And this is a story, a very unusual story, even for folks who know World War II quite well, you rarely hear such a deeply personal story of being in the inside of the Polish resistance. And in my father's case, he was 13 when World War he saw the planes hovering above, and his father thought it was an air show. And my dad said, no, I don't think that's an air show. And the next thing they know, the, plane, the bombs are dropping. And my father, at a very young age, decided to become a resistance fighter and became a very, apparently, you know, apparently a, a quite courageous one from the records and from other comrades who did survive. And my father was in some of the most brutal fights. I mean, you can imagine. And the stories of the resistance are incredible, of incredible heroics, and I think just utter patriotism. And, and, and it's so inspiring to know that, you know, here my dad, you know, here he is a teenager, and they had Molotov cocktails and sticks. At one point in their unit of 150 men, they had two guns. And yet they are charging the most vicious war machine in the world. And my father was fighting the Nazis for five and a half years. Think about it. Five and a half years with Molotov cocktails and sticks, basically. He was fighting 100 yards from his house. And I think that's why they were such ferocious fighters and such incredible fighters. With anything they had, they were going to fight because they were fighting for survival of their country, survival of their family. And then ultimately my father was captured. He was taken to a POW camp and didn't know if he was going to live another day and luckily escaped. And, you know, my favorite part of my dad's story, Craig, and I think this is this is – a great reminder of who we are as Americans, because my father counts his blessings every day that he lives in the greatest country in the world. He escaped at 90 pounds and six feet tall. Can you imagine? And he's one of the more healthy guys. And he's in the woods. He's with fellow comrades who escaped with him. And there he is in the woods, and he looks up, and he sees a plane. 
and they think, okay, it's a German plane, and they die for the ditches. And then the plane comes by again, and they think, you know, they're in Germany. They're in the you know, middle of Nazi-controlled Germany. It's wartime. You know, they, you, you're, it's crazy in the camp. It's dangerous as heck in the camp. But you can imagine how scary it is outside of the camp, too. You know, I mean, what do you do? You're in Nazi-controlled territory. And suddenly they look up. And something was thrown out of the plane, and they just assumed it was a grenade, and they died for the ditches. And then they look up, and they see a star, and they realize that it's an American plane. And what was dropped out was a chocolate bar with a note wrapped around it, tied with a red ribbon. And the note said, Welcome. It's safe to walk now during daytime. There are no troops between you and our American lines. Mm. You have 15 miles to walk and you're free. Let's pause at that point. We'll pick up the story around the corner. If you've just tuned in, our conversation tonight, saying this phrase for the first time on radio, New York Times best-selling author, Rita Cosby, a look at Quiet Hero. More information, by the way, on the book, and you can order it, too, online at quiethero.org. We'll come back to more of Rita's story and the story of her father as this edition of Lifeline continues. <laughs> And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When I entered, men crowded around, tried to lift me to their shoulders. They were too weak. Many of them could not get out of bed. As I walked down to the end of the barracks, there was applause from the men too weak to get out of bed. It sounded like the hand clapping of babies. As we walked out into the courtyard, a man fell dead. Two others, they must have been over 60, were crawling towards the latrine. I saw it, but will not describe it. Welcome back to the program. There, Edward R. Morrow from CBS describing his experience with the first American soldiers to walk into the German concentration camp at Buchenwald as it was liberated from the hands of the Nazis at the close of World War II. Welcome back to the program. With me tonight, New York Times bestselling author Rita Cosby, the book Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. Let me pause for a moment at this point. Rita, because I have to wonder, you know, we, we think about this generation that, that said so little of their escapades, of the horror that they saw and experienced during World War II, unlike subsequent generations. Back at the time, we referred to it as shell-shocked for those that generally kind of seem to be uh, um, emotionally a bit uh, challenged by all of these experiences. Today, I suppose, uh, better educated, we might refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder. I would suspect from the moment you opened up that tattered, worn leather suitcase and, and real, realized the significance of the items that you were looking at, it, it must have answered a lot of questions for you about your dad and, and the challenges that took place in your family. Oh, it, it absolutely did, Craig. And, and when, I, when I saw this, I knew I had to call my dad. I knew I had to forgive him. And despite, you know, years of anger and confusion, too. You know, much of it was, how could this man walk out and not be emotional? And as you talked about, being very emotionally void. And so it answered so many questions. And I reached out to my dad. I was, I was glad he was alive. I was glad he was ready to share his story. And he said, you know, I, I wasn't ready years ago. I have not talked about this in 65 years. He didn't even tell my mother. 
And so he said, you know, I think I'm ready to share the story if we can honor the troops who saved me and my comrades who didn't make it back. And I also feel you're an adult now, Rita. You know, it was too painful to share as a child, you know, to let you know then. And I think I'm ready. And that's why I tell everybody, too, I hope that this book inspires other people, too, because the most wonderful emails I have gotten, Craig, and and my website is quiethero.org, quiethero.org, and I'd love to hear everybody's story because when I read them and I read them, I I am so personally moved. My father literally, you know, uh, went through enormous hurdles, and me and my father went through enormous hurdles together. And I feel like if we can reconcile almost anybody can because it it almost seemed insurmountable and i've gotten so many beautiful emails from people who have written me and said you know i didn't i wasn't talking to my dad for 20 or 30 years and i wrote him a uh you know wrote him in the book please dad let's talk and sent him a copy of your book and now we're meeting for lunch tomorrow wow and i've gotten you know that that's that is you know the lord working that is you know that is that is a higher power by far and i am so blessed that this book has been able to be a bridge builder for so many people, maybe even who haven't even encountered someone with war. The other thing that comes to mind is you you talk about the title of this book. We think hero, uh, a word that we easily banty about these days to which we don't assign an awful lot of of significance, and yet other words, too, that come to mind that that unfold on inside the pages of your book, Quiet Hero, as as your dad recounts the stories and talks about those that were responsible in, in rescuing him as he made his way, you know, escaped essentially there from um, from that Stalag. Um, words like valor and honor and sacrifice, words that I, I think to certain degrees, Rita, have largely disappeared from the American lexicon, words that most people today just going about day-to-day life and business really don't understand or think about or under, understand or, or perhaps comprehend the significance of in relationship to what men like your dad went through, not just in, in Europe and in dealing with the, the torture and horrors of Nazism, but then those from other countries like Australia and England and Canada and the United States that went to places like Europe to help liberate those people from the clutches of Nazism. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and when you talk about, you use the word valor, I think of one line that my father said, and, and I think it just epitomizes the integrity of, of not just my father, but, but the men who served with him. And by the way, there were women also fighting in the resistance, too, which is, which is interesting. It was one of the first times in history that women played a huge role in military operations because everybody was needed. You know, men, women, everybody was fighting. for. They were all fighting for their country. But he, my dad told me this great line, and this is at the age of 15. Think about You know, it's amazing to think at the age of 15 now you see kids playing Nintendo or skateboarding, Craig, or doing whatever they're doing at 15. And my dad at the age of 15 could have been snuck out of the country. His mother said, I might be able to buy you out through the black market. I might be able to find a way to get you to, you know, Switzerland, a neutral country. And my father, who was in the resistance at this time, said to my mother, no, I am staying and fighting for my country. And he gave this great line. He said, I would rather die with friends than live with strangers. Mm. I am staying and fighting for my country. And you think about, you know, saying that at the age of 15, knowing that most likely you were going to die for your country because the odds were certainly against you. In my father's unit, 80% of the men did not survive. Wow. So you think about, he knew he was going into a bloodbath. Well, and, and certainly, I mean, having having lived through initially the, the, the bombing of Poland, of Warsaw, 
by the time the, John, the Germans were done with their job there, um, 85% of all the buildings in that city were completely destroyed. Oh, and, and if you look at the pictures from that, in fact, this is interesting. Where my father was fighting was in the old town part of Warsaw, and that's where some of the most ferocious and, and I guess, you know, uh, determined resistance fighters were. Now, would that, Rita, technically been considered uh, near or at or in even the, uh, the so-called ghetto? Um, it was right near the ghetto, okay. literally right next to the ghetto. And, in fact, my father was just about 100 yards or so from the ghetto wall, his home. I mean, that's how close it was. It was literally in that area, exactly. It was literally in that area. So that's where they were rounding up all the Jews. And, by the way, my father was so supportive of those in, inside the ghetto. My father believed it didn't matter if you were Jewish or not Jewish, if you were a good person, my father wanted to help you and was willing to help those inside, even at the you know the price of his own life, if that's what it meant. Well, and it sounds like he, he got a lot of that, obviously, from his parents, your grandparents, whom I understand you have never met, but uh, weren't they engaged in doing some stuff, even kind of discreetly in the black market that were that was being used to assist people in the resistance? Yes, they were actually helping, and they were giving food. They were doing tons of things to help those. And also, my father's mother was a really incredible woman. And I think you, you talk about sort of where you learned your morals from. Hitler did not want anyone to practice religion, especially if you were inside or outside the ghetto. And if you were, they, they treated those outside of the ghetto horribly as well. Obviously, those inside the ghetto were just, you know, decimated. And, it's, and I think it's unconscionable what happened. It's incredible and just horrific. And my father, outside, they were also brutalized. And if my father, at the age of 13, started writing anti anti-Nazi symbols on the ghetto wall. Can you imagine this? And even though you think about it, it's kind of child's play, that was a death sentence in Poland. It didn't matter how old you were. If the Nazis had caught anybody writing anti-Nazi propaganda on the ghetto walls of all places, you, they, you were going to be killed. And they would go and like clean it off, and then my father would go back two days later and write another, you know, Hitler is a blank, or a swastika hanging like from a gallows. And it was a complete insult to just infuriate them. And my, and my father's mother, at a, even in the height of it all, where she was not supposed to pray or practice religion, she still had a hidden altar in the basement of her apartment. And they had five bombed-out apartments that kept moving. But in each apartment, she kept a hidden altar. And everywhere, they went down and prayed for my father's safety, prayed for the country's safety, prayed for those in the ghetto. And that was the kind of environment that my father grew up in. And I, and I do, I think it transcended into who he was as a fighter. There's another side of the story that I want to come to when we come back after a brief timeout, Rita. Um, that's an amazing one, and that is that after all of these years, 60-something years, your dad being able to travel back, and you were there with him. I want to have you share what that phenomenal experience was like. And if you've tuned in a bit late tonight, we are visiting in this segment of the program with best-selling time, New York Times best-selling author, I should say, Rita Cosby. The book is called Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. This is a great gift-giving idea, whether you know of someone of that generation uh, that can be honored through the stories in a book like this. Um, a great Father's Day gift. As Rita mentioned, this is being used as a wonderful means of tearing down years of silence and, and, and non-communication between families. Um, younger kids that never understood why dad always seemed to be kind of detached in a way or, or, or cold emotionally. This book can not only be an eye-opener, but a relationship restorer, even as this experience has been 
for Rita and for her father. The book again, Quiet Hero, available on the web at quiethero.org. That's quiethero.org. We'll come back to more of our conversation. New York Times bestselling author Rita Cosby as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program and uh, joining us for an extended segment here. Uh, Rita Cosby has been gracious enough to remain with us. She, of course, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. Uh, The book, by the way, available through her website at quiethero.org. That's quiethero.org. You know, there are so many amazing aspects to this story from the discovery of eventually what became opening of the truth of what your dad experienced um, during World War II um, as not only a prisoner of war but as a resistance fighter. Um, But then, of course, that leading the gateway to really the restoration of your relationship with him after many, many years. You had the opportunity at one point, Rita, to go back, uh, to take your father back to Poland. What was that like? Oh, it, it was incredible. And you know what, what, what caused it was I gave him back these items that we found in this old tan tattered suitcase that we talked about earlier that my mother had left behind. And it turned out it was, again, his rusty POW tag and his fighting armband, the red and white fighting armband that was dirty and still had blood on it, so clearly had been worn. And I gave him back the suitcase and I surprised him and I said, I have something for you. And when I gave him back the suitcase, my dad just held on to these items, especially that red and white armband. And as it turns out, when he was fighting the Nazis, he was wearing all the, you know, they didn't have, this wasn't an organized army. This was the resistance. This was a bunch of ragtag citizen soldiers, teenagers. And literally, they would have to kill a Nazi to wear some clothes. And they wore, you know, they had, you know, rattered, you know, tattered clothes before that, would grab a Nazi uniform. And the only thing that would separate them from the Nazis was this armband, and it actually gave the resistance a leg up because they could get very close sometimes to the Nazis, and then they would turn and point to, hey, I'm a resistance fighter, I'm not one of you, and then they were able to approach him and kill him. And you think about they'd have, that's how close they would often have to get. So you think about how scary that must have been. This was not you know, long-term fighting with rifles and, and tanks. My, they didn't have it, you know, so they had to go up close, and that was their advantage. And when my father saw that red and white fighting armband, Craig, he just cried, and he was holding on to it. And then he looked up, and he said, you know, I wonder who survived. I wonder who made it. And I said, you know what, Dad, the president of Poland, I, just, I had just met him literally a few weeks before, invited us back. And my father said, all right, let's go back together. And the whole, my whole life growing up, Craig, my father you know, talked about Poland as being hell, that there were terrible things that happened there, and I never knew what. And I never knew what role he played or what, or what happened. But I, I never thought he would ever in, in my lifetime ever go back to Poland or his lifetime. And when he said that, I said, let's do it. And literally a few days later, I think it was, we were on a plane to Poland. And my father held my hand when we took off, you know, and, and when we landed. And it was like a child. He was so nervous. 
and it was, you know, there was so, it was, you know, 65 years of emotions. And he came back and got a hero's welcome from the president of Poland because he was in that diehard fighting you know, place. The guys, my father escaped through the sewers at one point from the Nazis. Can you imagine? There was no place above ground. And those fighters who escaped through the sewers, my dad was one of the last men out. They are really considered some of the real heroes in Poland. Here's a guy that, that spent an entire lifetime, Rita, um, controlling his emotions, denying it, yes. stuffing them down. Uh, suddenly now he finds himself, 60-plus years later, back to his home country of Poland. Um, I would suspect that, that Stalag, Stalag 4B probably doesn't exist anymore, but there are prison camps that have, that have been kept open for tourists to come and see and for people to, to basically experience that we should never forget. You had an opportunity to tour one of those camps, Auschwitz, yes, in Poland with your father. What was that like for him? Uh, you know, as a journalist, you must have been watching very intently your father's reactions to the experience of going back in and and the memories that must have just been flooding so much emotion to the surface for him. Oh, it's so many emotions. And, and in fact, Stalag 4B, some of it is still there, and some of the record books are there. Really? And we found record books of my father there and also another camp that he was at. So we actually sent crews over to Germany where that camp was. And uh, in, in Poland, where Auschwitz is, my father actually had relatives who were taken to Auschwitz. Because early on, most people don't realize Auschwitz originally was for resistance fighters. And so my father knew a number of people who were taken to this horrible place called Auschwitz, you know, in the early days, and they didn't know really what was going on. You know, they didn't see the people, or they came back vegetables and would never speak again. And so when my father went there, uh, we were speechless. It, and my father, the minute he walked into some of the barracks that are still standing there, and it is such a somber feeling to go to Auschwitz because it's huge. And the fact that it's still there and still huge, and that that's not all of it, it's overwhelming to the emotions. They're just so angry about man's inhumanity to man and, and what happened. And my father, we walked through a barrack, and he said, this is exactly like the bed I was in. Because the, the Germans had everything was very uniform, and what they used in one camp was very similar to what they used in other camps like my dad's. And it brought back all these emotions. And the, the other thing my dad also did was we went to a place in Warsaw where my father said he lost all emotion. And my father, in the middle of the fighting, and remember, they barely had any guns. They had two guns in their unit. One of them was my dad's, and he barely had any bullets in it. Everything was scarce. And my father had gotten wind through some other guys that there was a tank that was seized by the resistance, a German tank, which is a, a huge coup. You remember, they're outgunned, they're outmanned, and suddenly they get a German tank. And my father's girlfriend was going to run all over the tank and you know parade on the tank, and along with a lot of his comrades. And my father said, oh, there's something kind of fishy. This is a little too good to be true. And he gave his girlfriend his Luger and said, just take this, this is his gun. Just take this, just in case. And he walked away. He was heading back in another direction, went a few blocks, and suddenly the ground shook, and the tank exploded. Mm. Booby-trapped. It was booby-trapped, and everybody on the, on the tank was killed. 500 people were killed. It was taken to a busy town square. 800 were injured. There's now a huge marker there in Poland symbolizing what happened. And my father ran back looking for a piece of his friends. And my father said, this is in the middle of fighting still. And he ran back, and he said when he went there, there was no trace of anything 
course, nothing of his friends, nothing of his girlfriend, nothing of his luger. Everything was evaporated. And he was just walking there in rivers of blood. And my father said at that moment, he said he had to compartmentalize. He had to be able to keep fighting because he wanted to keep fighting for those who had just perished for his country. And he said, I had to block it out. And when we went back to the scene together, my father just broke down in tears, Greg. It was so emotional for me. And he looked up at me and said, I'm so sorry. He said, I did the best I could as a father. I tried, but at the, after this moment, I had no emotion in life. Nothing fazed me. And losing a family, you know, decades later, I couldn't be affected because I lost hundreds of friends in an instant. And, you know, and of course I said, I, I forgive you, Dad. And, and that was a very dramatic moment for me and a very powerful moment. And, and after that moment, I have broken through with my dad. My dad is truly a different man today than he was, you know, years ago. Indeed so, and that, that takes us back full circle to that observation by you know, a fellow um, television journalist, uh, Tom Brokaw. This indeed was uh, our greatest generation. Rita, thanks so much for the book and the time and the insights. And um, for your dad, uh, when you talk to him next, uh, again, thanks to him. Uh, he may not regard himself as a hero, but he's a, the, a hero in the eyes of many of us. Thank you so much, and, and I hope everybody gets the book. It's quiethero.org, quiethero.org, and it's Quiet Hero Secrets from My Father's Past, and, and I hope it, uh, the journey inspires everyone as much as it's inspired my dad and I. Undoubtedly so. Again, New York Times bestselling author Rita Cosby, the book Quiet Hero. More information on the web at quiethero.org. <laughs> And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We think about the Christian experience. We try to wrap our minds around what God's grace is and what that means. And of course, we can intellectualize this. We can attribute to grace unmerited favor. We can try to think through what this means. And yet, I have to be honest with you, in the hmm, 40 years, I guess, now that I've been a Christian, as much as I think about grace and appreciate grace and experience grace and have it touch my life on a day-to-day basis, there's an aspect of grace that I don't understand, and that's probably a good thing, because there are aspects about grace that go so far beyond, I think, our ability to intellectualize it. This holy and righteous God in front of whose eyes we have all sinned, as we're told in Romans 3 and 23, dead in our transgressions, and yet while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, God sent his only begotten Son to die on our behalf that through that substitutionary work on the cross we might not only be saved and forgiven, but reconciled unto him and experience grace in our day-to-day lives. Brian Christopher has written a new book called Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Bob, by the way, is CEO of Basic Gospel and host of the Daily Call-In radio program of the same name, Basic Gospel. And Bob, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the time together. It's an important topic, I think, because um, believers, I think, of, of any stage in their walk with Christ need to be reminded of how incredible uh, 
this grace is that God has shown toward us, and the totality of what it means is we see Christ as that bridge between death and life and, and what it means to be reconciled unto very God himself because of his grace for us, um, I think ought to simply leave every Christian, again, no matter what stage they're at in their walk with Christ, ought to leave every Christian absolutely with their minds blown by this. Oh, Craig, absolutely. Um, Most theologians, when they get to their later stages of life, and this has been through 2,000 years of church history, you know, when asked, you know, what is the most important subject uh, about Christianity? And they always choose the word grace, um, because even if they've been Christians for 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, they feel like they've just uh, scratched the surface. And, and grace is one of these big words. I mean, Jesus Christ is full of truth and grace. Jesus Christ is grace itself in, in essence. And when you think how big Jesus is, that's when you start to get an idea of just how big this grace of God is and how powerful it is to make us alive together with Christ. So I think it's the most important subject uh, most important word in the in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ and, and the Word God itself. Is it a word that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again? In other words, sometimes you, you hear some that might suggest that this grace is a one-time experience, that God showed his grace toward mankind uh, there at Calvary. We can uh, partake of that grace in our salvation experience, and then once one once it's done, it's done. Is it, is it that way, Bob, or is it really an ongoing experience? Well, it's an ongoing experience. I say in the book, you know, once grace gets started, it never ends. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and oh, yes. he said this, the Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. You never can get away from it. And as soon as you start getting away from, you know, the grace grace of God, I find that's when things start to mess up. Um, I, I find that's when, you know, I get anxious, I lose peace, I've, you know, I have this restlessness inside. But every time I circle back to the grace of God and get a fresh look at what that exactly means in, in my everyday life, things start to settle down, and, and, and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to fill up all the spaces in, in your mind. So I don't think we can ever get away from grace. I, I, I know most people and many folks um, communicate it as kind of first-grade stuff, but really it is, it is the foundation, it's the building, it's the roof, it's, it's everything about this Christian life. Your book title, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, uh, might suggest that there's a simplicity to this. And I guess it's kind of interesting because it, it it's simple to the degree that Scripture lays it out for us, and yet there's a level at which I don't know that we can ever really fully understand grace, can we? No, I don't think we can fully under, understand it because it's, it's really the essence of who Jesus is. And so we're ever going to be growing in our knowledge of, of Christ and growing in the grace of God and learning how this grace of God applies in, in everyday life. So it's a lifelong endeavor to grow in grace. And then 
you know, when we go to be with the Lord, when he comes back, when we all receive these resurrected bodies, we're going to stand as, as testimonies to the grace of God throughout eternity. Uh, and boy, just when you think of that, then you realize just how powerful and how wonderful this grace really is. Break it down in terms of, of understanding um, what this means when we talk about grace. Um, we say unmerited favor, and uh, people might think, well, you mean like when the when the judge uh, throws out my parking ticket when I really should have gotten it anyway? Or <laughs> help us better understand that. Okay. Well, I think that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, a judge throws out our parking ticket or... Uh, a cop decides not to give us uh, a ticket when indeed we've been speeding, that's, that's uh, on the mercy side of the equation. Um, so that's withholding from us what we justly deserve. Grace is giving to us what we do not deserve. Um, so grace is this very present, active word in our lives. So all of us, when we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sins. So spiritual death is a big problem. We don't deserve life. There's nothing that we could do to merit life. There's nothing that we could do to bring it about for ourselves. So God, in his grace, has to reach down to us, even though we were dead, and make us alive together with Christ. So that's the first aspect of God's grace. It's uh, you know, when you read that uh, passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's, it's a gift of God, not of ourselves. Well, the whole context of that passage is going from death to life, that God makes us alive together with Christ. That's grace. He gives us what we did not deserve. And then it's this life of Christ that sustains us. So we're always in his favor. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, by his grace, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. By his grace, he teaches us to say no to sin and to live righteous, upright lives. By this grace, he builds us up. He encourages us. He gives us a brand new identity. He helps us through trials and tribulations uh, in life, and he works within us to bring about his purposes in our day-to-day experience. So grace touches every aspect of our lives. So I, I like to say that most people think of grace as a word that covers the past, but actually it's a word that meets us at our point of need in, in the present and moves us forward. So it's a forward-moving word uh, tied to Jesus Christ, his spirit living within us. Um, that's just how wonderful it is. Bob Christopher with us tonight. We're looking at his latest book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. Uh, you might be a new believer in your faith and struggling through some of these questions, and, and uh, we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get your questions answered. Maybe you've been in the, in the faith uh, walk for a lot of years, but there's still some things that you don't quite understand. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.